0: So let's pray, and then we'll open up the scriptures. Thank you for these testimonies, Lord, of how you've been working. You are alive. You are here. We can trust you. We can be completely forgiven because of your death on the cross and restored to you, and, and you love to answer prayer. You love to give us opportunities to give, and so thank you for what you've been doing in our midst. And Lord, I pray that once again now you would come and help me as I preach to be in accord with your word and you'd give me the the heart and the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray. And Lord, I pray that you would take this amazing passage about the, the birth of Jesus Christ and that you would deeply impact each of us with the truth of who your son is and what he's done and how we should respond. So come into work now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As I was thinking about the passage for this morning, um, what struck me is that there's lots of um, events in the world's history that are really, really important. We can go through the list, you know, like printing in China and like the Magna Carta and the First World War, just, you know, Alexander the Great and all these amazing, you know, events in in, in world history that have come up. Lots of important events in world history. But for the next four weeks, we're going to talk here about one event that's taken place in world history that is far more important than any of the others. Far more important than any other world event. And that event is the birth of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem, which took place 2,000 years ago. Now, one reason Jesus' birth is so important, one reason it's the most important of any other event, is because in Jesus' birth, God became a man. Stunning to think about. God became a man. And the, the, the theological term for this is the incarnation. And it's from the Latin. The word in means in, same as with English. And then carne means flesh. And so in the birth of Jesus, God took on human flesh and became a man. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to take a look at four different passages from the scriptures, which explain the meaning of what difference it makes that God became a man and to unfold the meaning of Christmas so that our understanding of who Jesus Christ is will will deepen and so that our worship and our love for him and our obedience to him and our living for his glory will be strengthened in our hearts even more. So that's where we're going. So let's turn to Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 11. But I want to bring this manger over here because we're going we're gonna to use this as a little bit of a visual aid here. So if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. Philippians two five through eleven is on page nine hundred and eighty, in the Bibles we're passing out. Now a little bit of background about this letter. It's a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. Philippi was a little town right up here, north of the Aegean Sea, uh, in the area of Greece and Macedonia. Paul visited there on his second missionary journey, which is right around A.D. 59. So 59 years after Jesus' birth, Paul visited Philippi, preached the gospel. People got saved, including Lydia, one very significant woman who was a trader in, 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 in linen and fabric, and she was saved and many others, and a church was established there. And so then a couple of years later, Paul writes this letter to that church of believers in Jesus Christ. And one of the areas he wants to help them with, as you can see in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, he calls them to grow in loving each other, grow in being in unity together, grow in living in harmony, be humble, serve each other. And then to motivate them to do that, he describes how Jesus lived that way and how God rewarded him in verses 5 through 11. So let's read verses 5 through 11 and focus on what Jesus did and how God rewarded him. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself or some versions say, made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, And bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven, on earth, under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this passage divides itself up into four parts. There's who Jesus was before he was born. And that's right there in verse 6. There's what Jesus did in being born, that's right there in verse 7. There's why Jesus did this, what his purpose was, in verse 8. And then there's what God the Father did in response, verses 9 through 11. So we're just going to walk through this one section at a time. So let's start with, who was Jesus before he was born? Notice in verse 7, did you catch that? Paul says, Jesus was born in the likeness of men. So he was born in verse 7, which means that what happened in verse 6 was before he was born. So Jesus existed before he was born. Now that's not true of any other person. Only Jesus existed before he was born. So what kind of being was he before he was born? And look at verse 6 again. Paul says, "Who." though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Okay, now I just want to, want to pause at this moment. I would guess that some of you, right at this point, are having some intellectual struggles with what Paul's saying here. Because Paul mentions God in this verse. And we live in a very you know, educated area. We live in a very you know, scientifically advanced area. And so lots of people in this area struggle with believing in God, thinking how could we believe in God with all that we know about science now and in all the technological advancements? I mean, how, how, could, how could we believe in God? And so I can't take a whole lot of time on that this morning, but let me just throw out a couple of thoughts, which I hope might at least help, help you think, okay, it's not as unreasonable as maybe I thought. Think about it like this. Everybody has to agree That something mind-blowing has taken place because we live in a universe. How did it get here? We live on planet Earth. How did this get here? An amazingly habitable planet. And here we are, people with brains and bodies, people who talk and are conscious and will and laugh and love. How did this all get here? Something shocking has happened. Things like this don't just happen. We don't see them happening every day. How did it happen? And when you boil all the different explanations people have down, you can come up with two alternatives. It all either happened by chance, right? Random interactions of matter over billions of years producing all this. It all either happened by chance. It's one option. Or if it didn't happen by chance, it happened by purpose, which means there's a very powerful purposer, God, who created everything. It all either happened by chance, random, or it happened by God's design and purpose. Two options. I have a very hard time, just my own personal uh, acknowledgement, I have a very hard time believing that all of this could have happened by chance. Because we don't see randomness producing organization and purposefulness and structure. Like, we don't see randomness producing kidneys. We don't see randomness producing photosynthesis. We don't see randomness producing people communicating, consciousness, personhood. Randomness doesn't produce those things. We just don't see that happening anywhere. Purpose can produce those things. A personal being can produce those things. And so that doesn't prove that there's a God but I would just encourage you to maybe I know you got doubts, some of you take some time and doubt your doubts. Question your questions. I hope you see that, okay, so it's, it's plausible. since everything else that we see that, that has design, that has organization, that has complexity, like that, everything else like that came purposefully from intelligent agents being bringing that about, and we live in a, in a, in a universe full of design, and full of purposefulness, and full of organization and symmetry and harmony and working. And it can, comes from God, I believe. So I hope you at least will give Paul a hearing here. Okay, It's not implausible that there could be a God. And look at what Paul says about Jesus before he was born. Verse 6, who, though he was, Jesus was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So before Jesus was born, he was in the form of God. So what is the the form or the shape of God's existence? Jesus was in that. What's the form or shape of God's existence? And the Bible tells us clearly. God, for example, has always been from eternity past with no beginning. The Bible tells us that God is in sovereign authority and control over everything. The Bible tells us that God has infinite power so he can speak a universe into existence. And Jesus is in the the form, the shape of God's existence, which means that Jesus then has always existed from eternity past with no beginning. And Jesus has infinite power so he can speak a universe into existence. And Jesus has complete authority and sovereignty over everything. Now you might think, well, wait a minute, It, it sounds like you're saying that Jesus is like equal to God. Yes, It's exactly what Paul's saying. That's what he says in the next phrase. Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus had equality with God. Now think about that word equality. Okay? The number nine does not have equality with the number ten. Okay? Close, but. No cigar, okay? Not even 9.9 has equality with number 10. The only number that has equality with 10 is the number 10. 10 has equality with 10. Here's God. Jesus has equality with God. So what Paul is saying is that Jesus, before he was born, was fully God. Now there's mystery here. But the Bible teaches that God is three equal persons. God the Father... Jesus, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus, before he was born, was fully God. So just, just let this sink into your mind about the person of Jesus before he was born. Here's what Paul is saying. The Bible teaches that God has always been from eternity past with no beginning. There never was a time when God was not. That is mind-blowing. What this means is that Jesus, Jesus has always been from eternity past. There was never a time when Jesus was not. Jesus Christ has always been. The Bible teaches that God has authority over everything that exists. That means that Jesus has authority over everything that exists. That's who we're talking about here. The Bible teaches that God had the power to create everything, so Jesus had the power to create everything. Everything. Jesus. The Bible teaches that God is perfectly wise, knows everything consciously all the time. Perfect in knowledge and wisdom. And so Jesus is perfectly wise and knows everything perfectly consciously all the time. The Bible teaches that God has always been from eternity past full of joy. Full of joy in the fellowship of the Trinity, which means that Jesus has always existed from eternity past, full of joy in the fellowship of the Trinity. So Jesus Christ, before he was born, was fully God. Equal to God the Father. And so what did he do? Verse 7. He emptied himself, or like I said, some versions say, made himself nothing. Same basic difference. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So Jesus emptied himself. He made himself nothing. Notice, this is voluntary on Jesus' part. He did this. He emptied himself. He made himself nothing. Nothing. He took all all of who he was and he poured it out for our sakes. And then Paul explains what that meant in specifics in the next two phrases. Verse 7. First phrase. Taking the form of a servant. Which means that Jesus Christ, fully God, willingly, voluntarily chose to be a servant. Now in that culture, servant meant no rights, no privileges. That's servanthood back in the the Greco-Roman culture. And so Jesus Christ, who had all the rights and all the privileges as God, became a servant, laid aside all those rights and those privileges. God the Father asked Jesus to become a servant for our sakes, to do what was necessary to save us, and what that required was Jesus laying aside all of his rights and privileges and prerogatives. Next phrase, he did this by being born in the likeness of men. That means Jesus actually became a man. Now he never stopped being fully God, but he took on full humanity. And to be fully man, just like you, just like me, to be fully man, he had to lay aside his divine rights and prerogatives and powers and privileges. Try to think of an illustration to help us get a little feel for this. Imagine that you voluntarily and willingly chose to become an ant. An ant. Yes, I meant not an A-U-N-T, but an A-N-T. Okay, we're talking head, thorax, abdomen. We're talking antenna. We're talking six legs. We're talking thinking like an ant, feeling like an ant. Imagine that you lowered yourself to become an ant. That's just really hard to do, right? Okay, I get that. But what Jesus did in lowering himself from being fully God to being a man, a full man, flesh and blood man, was infinitely more than it would mean for you to lower yourself to be an an ant. So let's just try try to wrap our minds around this a little bit more. Jesus, who had always been from eternity past full of joy and fellowship with the Trinity, always, he laid that aside. He left the joys of that fellowship with the Trinity. He left heaven and he came down, 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 and he was born as a baby 2,000 years ago. So Jesus did. Jesus, who had power to create a universe, right, equal to God, power to create a universe, he laid all of that power aside. And he took on human weakness. We should be shocked at statements like we read in the Gospels that Jesus was hungry, <gasps> that he was tired, that he slept fully man laid aside his divine powers, privileges, prerogatives. Jesus, from eternity past, had complete sovereignty and authority over everything, and he laid all of that authority aside. He chose not to use that authority so that he could become fully man. Lowering, 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 lowering. Jesus had had perfect knowledge of everything consciously all the time. Perfect knowledge, wisdom. He laid that aside and he became a man. We we read verses like like Luke tells us that he grew in wisdom. He never stopped being God. But he laid aside that so he could become a man. So Jesus, who was fully God, became fully man. Next question. Why? Why did he do this? Paul tells us in verse 8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself even further by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus, who was fully God, equal to the Father in everything, laid aside all those divine powers, privileges, prerogatives, lord himself to be to be born in a manger as a, as a, as a baby, and As a man, that he lowered himself even further by being willing to die, even dying on the cross. Now, this is really important to understand. The cross was not a tragic uh, accident, the cross wasn't that Jesus' plans went sadly awry. The cross was his plan. So, it's his plan. He came to die on the cross. It was his purpose. He took on a human body precisely so that he could die. God can't die. God can't die. Human beings can die. And so that he could die for us, he took on a human body so that he could die. Now, why did he need to die? Some of you know this, many of you do, most of you do, some of you may not. Here's why he needed to die. It's because God had created all of us so that we would have the joy of knowing him, worshiping him, living for his glory, obeying him, the joy of of being in God's will. God created all of us so we would have the joy of knowing of being as majestic and as glorious as God. That's why you are here. And all of us have turned our backs on God and refused to bend the knee before him. We all have. And God is just. It's perfectly just. And so our sin has to be punished. That's the reality of the universe. All of our sin has to be punished. But God loves us. God cares about us. God is a being whose heart just overflows with mercy and with compassion and with goodness. God loves doing astonishing good for undeserving people. This is God's heart. And so God came up with a way that all of your sins could be forgiven all of my sins could be forgiven and that he could justly punish our sins he came up with a way to do that so you could have complete forgiveness for all of your sins and that he would in justice punish all of your sins how did he do that Jesus would you go to earth become a man would you die on the cross and on the cross I will be punishing their sins on you. It's going to break my heart, son. It's going to be excruciating for you. Will you? Yes, Father. Yes, Father. That's why Jesus took on a human body so he could be punished in our place on the cross. Back to the ants for a moment. Imagine that you had created a colony of ants in the benevolence and the goodness of your heart, and the ants all turned their backs on you and refused your will and your purpose. Would you be willing to become an ant and to have all the ants cause you great pain and great suffering to the point of death so they could be forgiven? That's what Jesus did for us. Read verse 8 again. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Even death on a cross. As most of you know, the cross was the worst form of execution the Roman government used. It was so uh, horrifying and long and uh, shameful that it was illegal to crucify a Roman citizen. No Roman citizens could be crucified, no matter what they did. Never. It was reserved for non-Roman citizens and the worst criminals of that group. So you just think about Jesus. Now we go back. He had equality with God from eternity past. The fellowship of the Trinity Authority, knowledge, joy, power, divine power, privileges, and prerogatives. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he was willing to become a man and then is willing to humble himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus, think about Him. he became a man. I mean, as you see manger scenes and as you sing about Christmas, as we celebrate Advent this season, The baby that was in the manger was God. He became a man. God became man in the person of Jesus. Laying aside his divine powers, privileges, and prerogatives. Laying all that aside. And then he grew up, grew in wisdom and knowledge. He chose the twelve disciples. He taught the twelve disciples. He fed the five thousand. He calmed the wind and the waves. He cleansed the temple uh from the money changers that were there. He forgave the woman who was weeping at his feet. He healed a paralyzed man and then forgave his sins. So he he lived his life, a life of total servitude, a life of total love, a life of total giving. He preached to the crowds. And then he allowed himself to be betrayed. He allowed himself to be bound And he said in the Gospels that at any time he could call for a legion, an army of angels, and he would be delivered. At any moment he could have called the whole thing to a halt. But he chose not to. He allowed himself to be bound. He allowed himself to be blindfolded and beaten by the Roman guards. He allowed them to mock him. He allowed them to crush a crown of thorns. Beating it into his scalp with a, a stick. He allowed them to scourge him, which was 39 lashes, each one. He could have stopped it after any one, and he allowed each one to continue as it tore open his back. He allowed his feet to be nailed to a cross, could have stopped it at any time. He allowed his his hands to be nailed to the cross, and then he he stood. He, he was lifted up on the cross in, in utter humiliation and hours of absolute agony to pay for our sins because he loved us to pay for our sins. Some some people think God is aloof. Some people think God is distant that God doesn't care? 2,000 years ago, God was on the cross. 2,000 years ago, God was suffering unimaginable pain on the cross. 2,000 years ago, God was screaming in agony with the horrors of the crucifixion. Because he loves us. Because he cares about us. Because he wanted to forgive us. And anyone, anyone of you who will turn to Jesus Christ as you are, help me, forgive me, change me, fill me, I receive you into my life as my Savior, as my Lord. As my heart-satisfying treasure, completely forgiven, changed, filled, satisfied, reconciled to God, changed life because of what Jesus Christ did. So Jesus, who was fully God, became a man so that he could be punished in our place for our sins. And then he died. And then he was buried. But that's not the end of the story. What did God the Father do? Verses 9 through 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So God the Father highly exalted him, raised him from the dead. Jesus then, for 40 days, taught his followers. Uh, he showed himself to over 500 people who saw his body right there, like Thomas, like Josie said earlier. And then the Father took him into heaven. He ascended into to heaven. So the Father highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Now what name is that? Verse 11, Lord. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the name. See, Jesus had not been clearly revealed in the Old Testament time period. It was at this point in time with the resurrection that was the first time that jesus christ was displayed by god the father to all the world here's your lord i've raised him from the dead he's ascended into heaven the one who was fully equal with me who laid aside those divine powers and privileges became a man humbled himself even further to the point of death on a cross for you I've raised him up. He's ascended to heaven. Our equality is reestablished, clearly revealed, displayed. Here's your Lord. And the reason that God has done this states it two ways, Paul does. One is so that every knee would bow. Heaven on earth, under the earth. That means angels, people on earth, demons. The purpose is every knee should bow. Every knee should bow. Jesus Christ is Lord. And the second purpose is so that every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So let's just put this all together. This first Sunday of Advent. Here's why Jesus came. He was equal to the Father. He existed in the form of God, had existed from eternity past, fully, infinitely powerful, sovereign, full of joy in the fellowship of the Trinity forever. And he laid that aside. He humbled himself for being God to becoming a man and then humbled himself even further to the point of, of death death and the cross to pay for our sins because he loves us to pay for our sins. And as a result, God raised him from the dead. And God has declared him the one to whom your knee should bow. God has declared him the one to whom your tongue should confess that he is Lord. So here's what this means. It means one thing. One, one takeaway. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is the Lord. Most important truth about the universe you could know. Jesus Christ is the Lord. He is your Lord. He is the Lord of everyone in your neighborhood. He's the Lord of everyone in your family. He's the Lord of everyone in your workplace. Jesus Christ is the Lord. This is the objective truth of the universe. Jesus Christ is the Lord of everyone in San Jose. He's the Lord of everyone in America, everyone in Canada, everyone in Nicaragua, everyone in Afghanistan. Jesus Christ is the Lord of everyone. Are you bending the knee before him? Are you bending your knee before Jesus Christ? Is your life submitted to him as your Lord? Honestly, truly, are you bending your your knee before him as your Lord? Do it right now in a fresh way, if not. Every part of your life, just lay it down because he is your Lord. And if your knee isn't bent before him, then you are rebelling against him as your Lord, and you don't want to do that. Now, some of you have lived years with your knee not bent before Jesus as your Lord. And that's it's a huge problem, and it's wrong. But he died on the cross so that you could be forgiven. You can be forgiven. You can be changed. So you just, once again, you bend your knee before Jesus and say, forgive me, I submit my life to you. Help me, change me, fill me, satisfy me. And he will. And then you confess him as Lord. You confess him as Lord to your family members, to your friends, to your fellow work associates, to everybody you see. You you confess Jesus Christ as Lord. That's what we do. God highly exalted him so that our knees would bow before him and so that our tongues would confess him as Lord. So Mercy Hill Church, here's what I want to challenge us to do this Christmas season. Bend your knee before Jesus as your Lord. And let's confess Jesus as Lord. Neighborhoods, family members, work associates, friends, bend the knee, confess with your mouth, because He is Lord. Let's stand together. I want to pray this over us. Huge truths. Father, in your word here. And I pray for your power to come upon us right now. I pray, Lord, for those who who have not been bending their knee before you. Please, Lord, help them. Show them how merciful you are, how real you are, how powerful you are. Please, Lord, come and do that, I pray right now. How completely forgiving you can be to them now because of what your Holy Son did on the cross. Please, Lord. I pray that everyone here right now would be bending their knee before you, Jesus Christ, and saying, You're my Lord. Be my Lord. I surrender my life afresh to you. You are the Lord. I want to bow before you as Lord. Please, Lord, do that, I pray. And I pray, Father, for those who are already trusting you. Thank you for all that we have in in your Lordship and I pray that you would stir all of us to confess with our tongues this Christmas to people around us that you are the Lord. You are the forgiving Lord. You are the loving Lord. And you are the sovereign Lord. So please, I pray. Pour out your spirit upon us. Jesus, we thank you for what you've done. And we say you are Lord. And we worship you right now. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.